Hello and welcome to Big Streaming Pile. I am your host, Fiona L.F. Kelly, and as has been the case with our last few episodes, I am joined here by a special guest instead of my other host, Tom. Uh, Would my special guest for this week like to introduce herself? Uh, Hi, I'm Chelsea Rexinger. You might remember me from the last Batman and Robin episode. (laughs) Yes. As well as, uh, you know, other Project Derailed uh, projects. Yeah, we have the same like five or six people on like every single podcast. So, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, Chelsea was uh, with us for our last episode where we talked about Batman Forever and then decided halfway through that we were going to split Batman Forever and uh, Batman and Robin into two episodes instead of just one episode like we had initially talked about because we were like approaching the hour mark and I was like, yeah, I don't really want to like edit a two hour episode. Yeah. Um, So we're just going to be back and uh, do Batman and Robin now, the second of the uh, Joel Schumacher Batman films. Um, Like I said, this movie was directed by Joel Schumacher. It was written by Akiva Goldsman, and you can find this movie on HBO Max uh, because they have all of the DC movies, and as a really big DC fan, that makes me very happy, and I've been going through and watching all of them, and it's a good time. (laughs) So if you need a reason to get HBO Max besides all their other stuff, they do have, like, and I mean, like, all of the DC stuff. Like, there's a lot. (laughs) Um. But yeah, Batman and Robin. Uh, what what did you think of this one, Chelsea? So this is definitely um, not quite as good as Batman Forever, in my opinion. Yeah, this one is definitely pretty different from Batman Forever. Like, they had very different focuses. Um, yeah. And I think that that's just because, like, as you get into, like the different people who have like envisioned Batman, like each movie starts to have like a different focus on like who Batman is or like what part of the world they want to like talk about or look right. into. Like you get that Which with the Which is um, really cool. Um I was going to say if you compare that to uh like something like Spider Man, you know, we've had three of those in the past t- twenty years. Uh, and those are all still very much the same exact character, even though it's through different um, directors' eyes. But, you know, you get the different Batmans, and they are all very starkly different than each other, which I think is, like, really cool and something that you might only really be able to do with Batman. Yeah, because Batman has, like, these very simple parts, right? Like, he's a billionaire, um, he fights crime because he has a boner for justice, he's, like... <laughs> Like, uh, Batman is, like, pretty distinct from Bruce Wayne, um, and sometimes he has, like, uh, the Bat family, which we get into a little bit more in this movie. Um, Schumacher deciding to bring Robin on that early was sort of an unusual choice when you look at the history of Batman, because usually when people, like, get a new project, the first thing that they do is get rid of Robin and, like, get rid of the Bat family and just focus it, um, very much on on Batman and the Batman Bruce Wayne dynamic, and usually Alfred is like a per, like a periphery character somewhere in the background, like right. keeping up Wayne Manor. Um, but Schumacher really leaned in to uh, to the like weirdness and wildness of Batman. I think that a big aspect of that is Robin and all the stuff that comes with Robin, right. And uh, if you, like, look on people theorizing why that is, it's because uh, 
the dynamic of uh <laughs> some people theorize it's because like the dynamic of Alfred and Bruce is like pretty gay but I'm like adding Robin doesn't make it like <laughs> yeah. less gay <laughs> um, yeah now now Robin has two gay dads like this is just where we are now <laughs> yeah like I mean the Alfred thing is like sort of obviously like father son but especially when you have like Schumacher who being like dick is 25 like yeah that's that's way more strange than like you know um the the butler that like took care of this young ward when his parents tragically died but right (laughs) um gosh that that always like i'm always unprepared i've seen these movies like a million times i'm always unprepared to see robin be this like adult man (laughs) i know because he like never is because it if you are a DC fan like me, um, you know that uh, Dick specifically when he gets older, which is the case in a lot of comics that Dick is a little bit older and you have uh, you have Tim, Jason or Damien taking on like Red Robin, Robin, um, the Red Hood, you know, whatever, like Dick doesn't become like robin but 25 like he doesn't wear the traffic light <laughs> costume he becomes nightwing like his own character <laughs> but i i do love that they leaned into it which is a very schumacher thing to lean into i think yeah. it's it's also very like comic booky and clearly schumacher was like the Adam West Batman is, like, what we're pulling off of. He wasn't doing, right. like, the super gritty, like, noir detective Batman or, like, even the Burton Batman. He was like, I like the Adam West Batman. That's the inspiration. That's what they're going off of. Which yeah. is, you know, fine. Like, it's Batman all the way down, which is something I think I said in the last episode. But it is a choice. It's a strong choice, but... <laughs> right. Well, I think going going this way really helped the, uh, like aesthetic of of mm-hmm. the movie um as batman forever is like really cartoony and stuff but still has some of those like burton-esque uh things in it right but this one really goes like full out of burton into this really like cartoony fantasy world yeah and like i really love all of the shots of the city with um mr freeze taking the uh the, the freezeway through all the buildings and stuff and just like yeah. being in awe of the set design for this movie it's really really cool <laughs> Yeah, I do. I do love the Gotham that we get here because um, I think that that was actually when I think about it, my least favorite part of the Nolan films, which I do love all of the Nolan films. And like weird fact, I know everyone complained about like Bane and his accent, but I often have like trouble, especially in movie theaters, like understanding what anyone is saying. But I heard Bane crystal clear <laughs> through that whole movie. And he was, I think, the only one I could understand. I have no idea why, but... You know, I digress. Um, But Gotham didn't feel, like, super unique. It just felt like a city, which, like, the point is that Gotham is, like, the, you know, the reverse of Metropolis. Like, Metropolis is, like, this Star Trek utopia where, like, stuff is, like, clean and beautiful. And even though it gets, like, you know, smashed up by, like, supervillains or whatever, you know, the sun, like, rises another day and Superman's there, like, cleaning up the fallen over skyscrapers and stuff and it's all fine but then you get to gotham and you have on basically like all levels um 
fucking half the population is like a criminal of some sort. So you have this like right. really low level petty crime, which is not something that they focus on in Metropolis that even, you know, creates Batman like uh, Joe Cool, who kills his parents. And I think in the Burton ones, they said that that was the Joker, which is a choice. But, you know, whatever. Right. We're not talking about that movie, but <laughs> artistic license. <laughs> yeah, artistic license, whatever. Um, it's not actually the worst thing in the world, even though it makes the whole thing really weird. But uh yeah. yeah. So in addition to like the poison ivies and the Mr. Freezes and stuff like that, you also just have these like random assholes, which is the thing that makes Batman's whole mission of like cleaning up the city even work. Because in Metropolis, it's like, well, everyone's happy. So, you know, why would we have these like random petty crimes? But in Gotham, everyone is not happy. It's like a lot darker and, you know. Right. But that's a. Uh, that's my Batman theorizing, I guess. Uh, <laughs> let's get into talking about what this movie is about. It's probably yeah. the movie I remember the best because I think I had this one on VHS growing up and I thought that Poison nice. Ivy was like very, very cool, um, which yes. I still do. But uh, <laughs> so this one is uh, the Batman movie that has Mr. Freeze, Poison Ivy, and Bane. Um I hesitate to even, like, really call him Bane because he's just, like, he's not really a character. He's just sort of, like, there. Um, he's a big old henchman. <laughs> yeah, he's he, he really is just, like, a glorified henchman. Like, he doesn't really do anything that I recall. Um, yeah. They, like, explain who he is. They, like, give him the venom, which I think is something that is, like, closer to what he's like in the comics rather than the whole, like, uh you know um aristotle like they're deep down in the pit watching the shadows on the like i was cables. born in the undercroft <laughs> yeah so i do think that bane is like a criminal who was like injected with super serum like the sort of like anti-captain america um right i'm not a bane expert <laughs> I, I might be like full of shit here but um but i think that everyone else's like backstory is like pretty similar um you have uh mr freeze who is the <laughs> they's like i don't know if he's actually a, an olympian like decathlonist in the comics right. but, but i love that they <laughs> slip that in to explain why fucking arnold schwarzenegger is portraying him as like oh he's yeah. like a He's he's an Olympian and also he has a Nobel Prize and I'm like okay yeah. whatever. <laughs> like there was some kind of thing that was like well he can't be a big buff boy and be smart that's against the rules. <laughs> yeah, and like he can just be like a big guy like he's a have to right. be like, an Olympian. <laughs> Plus he was like wearing the suit the whole time so it's like yeah. you could just say it's the suit but you know whatever. Uh, I do think it's really funny that this sort of, like, ruins the Mr. Freeze character in the comics for, like, a while. Like, if I recall, like, no one wanted to, like, touch Mr. Freeze in, like, the Batman comics for another, like, Aw, like, he wasn't that years. bad in this movie. <laughs> he was just so cheesy, I think. And, like, this was in the 90s where in the, the comics right. industry was sort of dying. And then you get, like have an ice day and people being like that's silly and not like my comics which are serious and <laughs> right gritty. um yeah but like in the context of the movie everybody is cheesy like that i mean you can't say that poison ivy wasn't as oh, bad yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, like, I thought that Uma Thurman was, like, great in this. And I, but oh, my I'm gosh, like, yes. Uh, if, you know, if the late great Divine was alive during this time, that would have been who needed Ooh. to be cast in that role. Yeah. Um, because she's doing essentially a drag performance. Yeah, and exactly. I, I love it. I think it's great. I think it's really brilliant. She did really – she was probably, like, my favorite in this movie. She did an excellent job. Uh-huh. Um, but it – it was so cheesy and campy and just it just sort of perfect. Um, but yeah, you get you get Miss Miss Ivy who um, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure if that's her origin in the comics, but I think it's like at least close that she was like a botanist of some sort and then became um, venomous. But I do really like the idea of Poison Ivy, especially when you get into the sort of queer themes of the Schumacher films, where it's like. Don't kiss a girl or else you'll die. <laughs> you know, because that's not coded at all. Um, no, definitely not. Why would you even suggest such a thing? <laughs> nope. Batman is the most, the most serious and the most heterosexual, the, the uh, straightest of all of the characters. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, you gotta love her. Um, the sort of like quick and dirty of this summary is that uh, Mr. Freeze needs diamonds to keep his suit alive because he needs to uh, he needs to find a cure for McGregor syndrome, which his wife is in the very late stages of. So she is cryogenically frozen while he like works on a cure, which is like sort of a beautiful story um, yeah. mixed with the like um, ice puns and the freeze right. puns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's just an ice princess. It's just frozen. This is just very early frozen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then um and then you have Poison Ivy who just sort of like wants to save the environment. Um, but her like the lab she's working for is under Wayne Enterprises and like not through any fault of Bruce's is is into some sort of shady dealings with the ununited nations. Yeah. Um, which again I thought was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, uh, during this whole process, Bane is injected with the venom as well, and goes from this sort of like scrawny dude into Bane, TM the backbreaker. Um, but it doesn't break Batman's back in this because we didn't care about Bane that much in the plot. Yeah, but- <laughs> he, he was sure was there. <laughs> yeah, he was like there. He was just like whenever Ivy needed a strong guy, he would like show up. But he wasn't really in the movie <laughs> other than that. Yeah. And then um, Batman and Robin are having this conflict where Robin's all salty because he's like, it's always Batman and Robin, not Robin and Batman. And uh, while all of this is happening, Alfred's niece, played by Alicia Silverstone, Barbara, shows up. Now, Barbara, I do know a lot about because she is probably my favorite DC character. And in the comics, she's Barbara Gordon. She's Commissioner Gordon's daughter. Um, They did keep, like, some elements of her. The fact that she was, like, sort of into computer science in the comics. She's, like, a genius. Like, she's, like, incredibly smart. Right. And not manually guessing passwords to get into a computer. (laughs) That part was really weird. Yeah, yikes. What a scene. That felt, that was the thing that dated the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Just that UI graphic and, ooh, baby. It's just sitting there manually guessing passwords because that's like, I I don't know. It was extremely That's what strange. hackers do, right? Yeah. That's that's how everyone's breaking into everyone's like accounts and stuff. Is they just, they're just like, 
looking around the the like the desk trying to like figure out what clues will unlock yeah. the password that's such a thing in movies it's that, that people have like something obvious with the password on it by the desk and i'm like uh-huh i do not have something like that yeah it's that and i pretty clearly remember the shot being her like finger pecking the <laughs> the password into yeah. the keyboard <laughs> I think Alicia Silverstone was like 17 or something when this movie came out. She's like pretty young, I think. Um, or maybe uh-huh. she was in her, I guess that that would have been a little bit after Clueless. So maybe she was in her early 20s. Um, I'm not sure that she probably was using a computer a whole lot at that point right. in time. Um, even though she was a, a hacker TM. Um, yeah. <laughs> but she's also riding motorcycles because she's cool and needs adrenaline or something. I don't know. Yeah, I forget what the... She needs to feel that high. <laughs> yeah, because because her parents have died, and that's the only thing that distracts her. But then they say that her parents died in a car accident, and I'm like, right? We need and to like so explore you need to drive that more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. She's really into drag racing, which is what endears uh, Robin to her, because that is very canonical in the comics when he's not. Um, when he's not off with Starfire, Dick Grayson has a thing for redheads. I I don't know. <laughs> so he's not off with Starfire. He and Barbara are like certainly a thing, depending on who's writing the comics at the time. Um, but well, I guess she's not redheaded in this. She's blonde for reasons. I'm like, why didn't you just make it Stephanie? But yeah, that, that's not that's not actually a criticism. That's me being like weird about it. <laughs> nah. It's my own nerd hangups. This isn't cinema sins. Um, <laughs> but uh throughout the film it's revealed that Alfred has uh McGregor's syndrome, which da, is, da, da. Yeah, which is what Mr. Freeze is trying to cure, uh, because that's what his <laughs> wife has also. And then it gets into this weird like, is it ethical for um Bruce to have Alfred like as an employee while he's sick and the film pretty quickly says yes it is ethical it's fine <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, there's such a weird plot point because they set it up and they were very quickly like yes and now this plot point is over i'm glad we spent all this time on it yeah because they solve it like almost immediately so like alfred when um babs shows up is taking a nap and is like oh sorry i didn't get the door i was like i dozed off and that's like the first inclination that you get that something's like wrong um and then when you when it's like revealed what actually is wrong he's like on his deathbed but then the doctor's like it's stage one it's incurable just say your goodbyes now like see you later (laughs) (laughs) yeah it happens so fast and also like i know for me the first couple times i saw this like not either watching it and not remembering he gets sick but like seeing an old man nap on the couch is like wow shocking right? I know. I know. <laughs> like I'm a like, choice Alfred's like 80 years old like that's not really like oh he did something wrong because like the implication there would be like alfred has like butler superpowers which is sort of the implication because then it says that his his uh his brother is like the butler of the maharaja of India oh yeah he's also like some that. kind of like magic butler too and it's like you're a family of magic butlers like what <laughs> And I'm like, what a strange, like, implication that the Pennyworths are all butlers. (laughs) I I don't know what that was about. We didn't get into that at all. I think that that was trying to set up, like, a future movie because he was sending a super secret message to his brother that 
it just appeared to be Batman stuff. Right. I don't know why he like needed to get that out. But. Like, either that or it was, like, trying to throw us off that, like, no, no, we are actually going to kill him this time. <laughs> In which case, we were like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty easy to call this bluff. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, I I don't know what's going on with Alfred in this movie, but I, I <laughs> maybe they just wanted to, like, allude to the fact that I think that he's been, like, the most consistent actor throughout, like, the Batman canon? I, I have no idea. <laughs> right. Because he, he played Alfred in, like, uh, he played Alfred in a number of things. I think he played them through all the Burton movies, all of all of these movies, and then they replaced him in the Nolan ones. But I think that he died, like, shortly after the Nolan ones started, like, coming out. So right. that might not even been, like, oh, we, like, hate him. <laughs> he might, right. Like, <laughs> he might you are just... old and we don't want you to die. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, he plays a good Alfred, though. I think he's like a very charming old man. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what's going on with that storyline. Um, Poison Ivy's motivation throughout this is that she wants uh Wayne Industries to stop their like harmful uh their harmful like environmental practices to like help clean up the environment and stuff. Which, like, in the 90s, I think, like, read differently than it does now. Right. Because, like, it's presented as, like, oh, we, like, need industry in order to help people. But I think now it's, like, Poison Ivy was, like, absolutely correct in her assessment. Right. (laughs) Yeah, and it, like, wasn't even, like, you need to shut down all of your stuff. It's, like, you need to give me money so that I can do stuff to to unfuck this situation. (laughs) Right, because she didn't go to a plan of, of villainy. She, like, at a press conference goes up to him and, and hands him, like a, like, a white paper, basically, of, like, what she thinks he needs to do. Um, and then his response is, like, we need Diesel to help people in the hospital, which is categorically false, but is, <laughs> right. I guess is presented as fact. Um, and she's, like... She's like, we don't need people, we need plants, which is also not a very good response, but it, it right. like, works, I guess. She, she's a villain because she's fighting for the right thing for the wrong reasons, question mark. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's a theme throughout this movie, is that the villains don't have bad motivations, but they go to these like extreme measures that aren't like super helpful. Right. Um, and like with with Mr. Freeze especially we get uh we get a sense of that because like at at the end of it like he's like okay you're going to Arkham but we're also going to like let you keep doing your research uh because you're going to cure Alfred because Freeze is carrying around the cure for stage one of McGregor syndrome yeah. in his suit and I'm like honestly if you would have just like released that probably people would have just given you diamonds so that you can just yeah, keep right? working. Like, it seems like this research is pretty important. I don't think that we had to, like... It's it's almost like the Breaking Bad problem, right? Like, it's like, okay, but, like, there were, like, other options than going straight to, like, this, like, right. highly illegal activity. <laughs> yeah. Um, And I'm down for, like, you know, the end sometimes... Or the means sometimes justify the end, but... I mean, the, Mr. Freeze had many other avenues with which to explore before he went to uh, 
to just I'm gonna steal diamonds, even though I don't actually think that that's like the worst thing in the world. That's the thing right. with Batman is that you sort of have to buy in that um him protecting the interests of other like very powerful people like himself, like where he's like fighting people trying to steal like diamonds and stuff is like really important and useful. Right. But well, yeah. I I I have a question. So you know, compared to Batman Forever, um, both of those villains, um, the Riddler and Two-Face, are v- both very, like, comically evil in that movie. Right. They are doing bad things because they are bad people, and that is just it. Do you think that's sort of why this one feels not as fun? I think so. So I think that they pretty specifically picked villains that had... um that had journeys that reflect Batman's um, because mm-hmm. you have like Batman whose task is Sisyphean. It never ends. Um, he's not like, I'm going to find the people who killed my parents and beat them up. And that's like the problem with making the person who killed his parents, um, the Joker, because like once he kills the Joker, then it's over. Like the whole point is that he either doesn't know who killed his parents or it was like such a low level petty criminal that it ultimately doesn't matter. Like right. his his devotion to justice is like a vow that he makes so that random meaningless crime doesn't happen rather than like I have I, I want to get revenge against this specific person. And especially with Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy, you have like Mr. Freeze who ultimately would like his wife to be back like i guess that that is sort of the end goal um but that is like almost certainly not going to happen like as he makes these like progressions um and discoveries within science um other things crop up like other issues like unless you like freeze someone in time they're ultimately like you can't like fix every problem and he's sort of like figured out a way around that but he needs to also like keep himself alive while doing so um and that presumably is going to be his downfall because he needs to like right be cold be alive and also be doing this research and ivy especially mirrors that because her goal is not like i'm going to use my venomous kiss to like mess up this guy who killed me it's like i'm going to save the environment tm which is not actually an achievable goal unless you like destroy society um or at least that's the implication and it's ultimately what like drives her to do like the villainy that she does so i think that they tried to like make more relatable um characters while also putting them through this lens of like camp and like absurdity which made it feel like weird because it wasn't actually like a serious investigation of like what the sisyphean like what the sisyphean tasks of like grief in terms of like you know alfred or batman's parents versus like mr freeze's grief with his wife or like you know batman wanting to stop all crime and like poison ivy wanting to save the environment like it doesn't actually explore that in any meaningful way it just like presents it um Right. So, yeah. And <laughs> so then it feels too just, like these things don't go anywhere, you know, <laughs> because we right. don't explore them. Yeah. As as I was kind of uh, reflecting on it, it was just like there was this big tonal problem that kept coming up because it'd be like presenting these really deep problems like, you know, dealing with Alfred dying or dealing with the environment falling apart or dealing with, you know, uh, Mr. Free's wife dying. 
And then also, you know, Mr. Freeze is in this giant car shooting freeze rays so that he can drive through the air. And it's like, whoa, who let the fun in? We're, we were dealing with really serious things. <laughs> yeah, because he's like, you know, he's staring there in his robe trying to get his henchman to be like, I'm Mr. White Christmas. And then he's yeah. like going in and like seeing his wife in stasis and being like sad about it and then like that's contrasted with like bruce being sad about alfred like sort of being in this like the walking dead sort of zone where it's like they know alfred is very sick he's not as bad as he could be yet but they know the inevitability of like this thing does not have a cure until it magically does and that's why it feels like it starts to not go anywhere because we didn't actually explore like what Sisyphean tasks are like, we like explored how interesting it is that Mr. Freeze has like an ice skating team of henchmen and also Poison Ivy is like there and so is Bane. <laughs> yeah, it it just, uh, I think that's one of the things that I think a lot of people like maybe can't put words to but feel weird when they're watching this movie is that like, you know, it's Batman Forever was fun. It was fun the entire time. You laughed. It was always these big, crazy things. Um, But when you're watching this one, it keeps telling you, like, yes, look at how cool these characters are. And they're doing all these wild, wacky things. And also they're sad sometimes. And it's like, why are you wasting my time with making me feel sad when I just want to see them do fun things? Yeah, I I think that this movie sort of needed to decide what it was um, because it didn't need to go full Nolan. Like, it didn't need to um, make the hyper-serious Batman who has, like, serious boy problems and, like, you know, the villains, even if they're, like, goofy, are, like, super serious and scary like the Joker. Um, Right. So, uh, I don't know. I think that there's a medium that Batman um, can strike that I think that this one was, like, trying to do something and i think that also there were plans for a while um to do a third one a third like schumacher film in this series so i think that like some of these ideas maybe um they had planned to come back but then it just like people didn't like it like they weren't happy <laughs> right <with it. laughs> um i think that the studios a little bit didn't care about that because like you're not going to make every single nerd who's read all the comics happy. And I think that's like right. fine to a little bit ignore. But also I think that like tonal consistency is ultimately important in movies. Yeah. And just it's it's not here. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. If I was sort of like restructuring this movie, I would like probably decide if I if I wanted Ivy or if I wanted Freeze and not right. do both of them um because the how they connected to in the film was so shaky it's just that ivy just sort of randomly decides that she wants to marry freeze and she's mad that he's already married um right and it's like the super out of left field like okay but like why though <laughs> yeah and then she has to sort of like forcedly say as she's fighting Babs like as I told Lady Freeze when I pulled her plug like you know just like admitting to all her crimes and I'm like that's not like super fun yeah and it, it, it it feels very left field that she like you know she becomes villainous and like if it was you know, it, it's sort of portraying her as being like, yes, I'm going to destroy all the people so that I can, you know, be, uh, save all the plants and stuff. And then she just, like, goes and kills Frieza's wife. And it's like, okay, but, like, what was the point of that, though? <laughs> right. And I do like the venomous kiss 
thing. Like, I do yeah. think that that's, like, fun and interesting. Um, yeah. And it gives you a way to, like, explore the absurdity of, like, attraction and lust. But I think that, like, conflating that with, like, actual romance um, gets really complicated. Right. <laughs> because, like, the implication would be not that she's, like, doing this to another supervillain, like... How that becomes interesting, I think, is that if she does it to, like, Batman, like, she decides she gets, like, a crush on Bruce or Robin or something and is, like, taking out the, like, unnamed girlfriend that appears, like, in different ways in every single movie. Um, Right. And then that, too, explores, like, the queerness of the character that I think that Schumacher did, in fact, want to explore. This, like, you know, like, the playboy aspects of Batman is sort of, like, adding to his inherent, like, queerness like the unnamed girlfriends who like revolve through but his like only meaningful relationships are really with like other men and now you have this like added like oh this woman's like super into him and he's attracted to her as well but it's all a trick like it's all fake and like if he kisses her he's going to die (laughs) (laughs) yeah because Uh. because it's stated right away that freeze is like not it like freezes like uh not like um freezes immune to that sort of thing right he's uh, very unavailable <laughs> yeah he's very unavailable because he's married and his blood is cold <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty goofy i will say i do enjoy that but yeah i think it just in a movie that already had so many threads um i sort of wish that we didn't actually need that sort of connection between um freeze and ivy because i mean when when you have like the joker and uh or not the joker the riddler and two-face in the last movie um, yeah they become evil buddies because they like being evil and it's fun <laughs> yeah it's that, that was the like i was just wanting uh freeze and ivy to just suddenly go like full team up evil and they just don't <laughs> It's like, okay, well, then why did we need two villains at all? I mean, we, we have Bane here, and we he's in, like, three scenes. He's here yeah. to lift heavy things, like... Yeah, and in one of the scenes, he's dressed as a gorilla the whole time. <laughs> yeah, like, why did we even bother? Yeah, I, th- I think that they just were like, okay, what, like, Batman villains are cool that we didn't already hit on a million times, and they were like... Bane, Poison Ivy, and Mr. Freeze, who who are, like, super goofy and who I think, like, reflect what Batman is trying to do in interesting ways. Um, but then they just don't do anything yeah. with that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, if you're going to, like, sig- like uh, maybe there was a different sort of, like, uh, thought process in taking those, those three villains specifically, but, like, mm-hmm. that would be the obvious connection to me is that these are the villains that you take when you want to um, talk about the absurdity of, like, um, of, of, like, you know, going through trauma and, like, trying to fight through trauma, like, every single day and putting that in the context of, like, comic book fights. Um, but instead, right. but instead they just were like, Ivy is like really campy and, um, she's basically just a drag queen. Isn't that like funny? Which, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of, I kind of want a, a movie that's all about like Alfred's, uh, Alfred's super butler family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what right. I wanted. I'm like, wait, that was interesting. Go back to that. Like, <laughs> Was uh was there's, Margaret there's a spinoff? 
Yeah, was Margaret yeah. slash Peg also a butler? Like, I'm so I'm so interested yeah. in this now. <laughs> and and then so so it's a super butler family. Is this universe's Barbara? If she had not become Batgirl, would she have become also a super butler to someone, or I suppose the super maid in this case? I don't know, because it is sort of implied at the end when Alfred's like, oh, I uploaded this to my cyber consciousness. I'm like, wait, is Alfred also a computer expert? Because, like, my (sighs) understanding was that, like, Alfred was down there, like, dusting off the bat suit. He wasn't actually, like, making technology. He wasn't helping. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, in the comics, I think that it's always, like, the understanding that, like, Batman um, will either throw money at the problem or, like, develop the technology himself. But, like, the good thing about having Barbara, um, especially when she becomes Oracle, is that she is, like, a computer genius and is able to, like, do this cool hacking and stuff like that. And it's not, like, actually Alfred. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, that that also takes cyber Alfred. consciousness. Yeah, that takes Alfred's role <laughs> like, into like a really interesting space because like I guess that like sometimes he's supposed to be like a parent. Like that's that's like the weird thing with Alfred and Bruce is that like Alfred is Bruce's employee. He's like the one maintaining the household and stuff like that, but he's also Bruce's parents. Like he was the right. person who took care of Bruce. Um and I think that that gets like it sort of makes sense when you like look at how Batman is then treating his wards where it's like they're not really my like children they're sort of like you know family is sort of um people who like work for you and help you in your in your task to bring justice right. to Gotham <laughs> you, you um, are now part of the board <laughs> yeah so i don't know alfred is uh yeah, because Bruce is not, like, concerned about him, like, oh, my God, like, my, my like, sort of, like, um, dad figure is dying. He's like, oh, I really liked Alfred. He's a great employee. I'm going to, like, set him up with nice, comfy stuff because yeah. because we care about Alfred because he's our butler and he's been with us a long time. Because <laughs> Clooney was a little bit detached during some of those scenes because, yeah. like... Dick and Babs were both, like, clearly very, like, touched by this, very upset. But Clooney is holding it together. Um, Right. And I don't know what sort of choice that was. I don't know who made that choice. But, like, does does Bruce really just think of Alfred as his butler? Like, that, I guess, is the question. And it seems like this movie is like, yeah, he's just his butler. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Do you like Clooney Batman? Is he is he the Batman for you? I I don't hate Clooney Batman. I put him sort of in the middle of the Batmen. Um, <laughs> Clooney is interesting because he's like he's playing himself playing Adam West, which I right. think is an interesting choice. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, because like George Clooney basically is Bruce Wayne. Like he right. had this like. I mean, he's, like, been married for a number of years now, but, like, for a long time, he sort of had this, like, revolving door of, like, 20-year-old girlfriends, and he was, like, known to be, like, super BFFs and hold these, like, long-standing friendships with, like, uh, 
with like other like popular male actors in Hollywood. So that was always the thing, right? Is like, oh, George Clooney's like secretly gay or whatever. And he just has a bunch right. of beards. Um, so in <laughs> that sense, I think that he is, and I'm not going to, I, I do not know the man. I'm not going to comment on whether I think George Clooney is gay or not. Um, he says he's straight. So, you know, good for him um, yeah we should believe people <laughs> yeah we should believe people like I, I i i'm not like invested in this at all i don't actually care yeah. but um <laughs> yeah so he like in, in that sense i think that he is like very much a bruce wayne figure so i think that he like was a good casting choice and i also think that he like looks like bruce wayne like he's got the that's the that was the thing right is that he was like he had the strongest chin of any of the batmen so far because <laughs> that's like the only thing you can see in the cowl um yeah and so i i I do think that was good to basically just like play his own public persona and then he was clearly drawing inspiration on adam west um because the whole movie was clearly drawing inspiration on like that era of uh of batman um so i i think i think he did a good job for what it was um if the movie tried to go more like tonally serious like overall instead of just the like random serious spots about mcgregor syndrome that week i think that his performance would have faltered a little bit more but yeah he did a good job in keeping up with the super absurd aspects of it and then also sometimes having to be like the serious emotional core of the movie right um, so yeah i think he was fine <laughs> he wasn't my I, least favorite he wasn't my favorite yeah. he was just sort of middle of the road fine i think i would have liked it if um this Batman and Batman Forever's Batman, who is Michael Keaton, correct? Uh, Batman Forever is... No, that's is Val, 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 Kilmer. Val Kilmer. Yeah. That's right. Uh, I think if these Batmen would have been switched, I think uh, I would have preferred that. I think uh, Val Kilmer would yeah. have done better in this movie. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, Just because... I, I feel like when when Batman needed to be really funny in the previous movie, like Clooney would have le- lent into it like real hard, and it would have been yeah, like, especially because there's such a strong romance subplot in that movie that like makes a right. lot more sense than the one in this movie, right? And I think Val Kilmer does better at those like super absurd action moments that you have like with the fucking like yeah. ice skating whatever. So yeah, yeah I, I feel agree. like I would have believed it more in Val Val. Kilmer's performance in Batman and Robin than Clooney's. That was just a thought I had comparing the the two movies. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, What'd you think of the other characters, the other actors' portrayal of the characters like uh, Alicia Silverstone or um, Chris O'Dowell? Dowd? I'm I'm not even sure. (laughs) Yeah. I th- I think I I like uh Chris as Robin. I think uh he does a very excellent job as like a a rebel punk kind of Robin like Yeah. You can't tell me what to do, dad. Yeah. Cuz I'm like fucking 25 years old and I'm an adult. <laughs> I, I just looked up as Chris O'Donnell. I was I was Chris way O'Donnell. Off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, he's he's such an interesting um I'm not gonna call. It. He's an interesting Richard. I'm so used to just calling Robin Dick that I'm like, it sounds so weird when you say it out loud. I'm just gonna call him Richard now. <laughs> um, he's a he's a really interesting Richard Grayson because like he's clearly trying. So he he also I think is taking a lot of inspiration from like the Batman, uh, the Adam West Batman, um, right? But that that sort of boy wonder stuff becomes so much weirder when he's in his mid-20s. Like, <laughs> yeah. that, like, 
why need like 12, 13, 14 year old being like, come on, like I'm I'm an important part of the team too. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's like you're an adult, like have a conversation with Batman like an adult. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, dude, just become Nightwing. <laughs> like, yeah. Break up and go do something else. Like you yeah. have the option. <laughs> why are you still living at this man's house? <laughs> Um, and honestly, I don't, I am, I have no opinion on, uh, Alicia Silverstone as, as Barbara, because, like, for as much stuff as in this movie, the whole Barbara becoming Batgirl plotline is, like, such a minimal part of what I remember or what right. affected me or, or anything. Yeah. We, we needed her for the final shot running in front of the light, right. and that's the only thing I remember. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that she did fine um, in terms of what she was given. I think she did a fine job. Um, yeah. I wish that there was more there for her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish she's not given anything. So with what was right. there, I think, you know, she was like, she was charismatic and she did a good job with like the action stuff and like keeping up with everyone else. Um, but she just wasn't given anything. Like, yeah, Barbara if, if- was sort of a non-factor in this movie. Yeah, if we wanted to tell a Batgirl story, I would have liked that, you know, Batgirl be involved at all. But, like, you know, you, you'd think with Poison Ivy, it would be like, oh, yeah, she's going to be the one that thwarts P- Poison Ivy. And, like, she si- kind of does, but is really, like, generally, like, not really a part of interacting with the villains at all. Yeah, I think it's, like, I don't even know if it's her that, like, deals the final blow, because all they do is kick her into the big flower which closes on her right and then she's in jail at the end of the movie (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, and it's just like if if it was so important and i know like the big thing that everybody points at this movie is like everything is about merchandising and we got to get the action figures and all of that but it's like you could have done that without her just basically being the batman's version of kane like (laughs) yeah yeah it was it was really weird like, how they connected all these different stories was so strange. Like, Commissioner Gordon was, in fact, in this movie, just like he was in the previous one. So I'm not sure, like, what the point was of making her Alfred's niece, um, especially when that didn't, like, go anywhere or, yeah, like, it did do anything. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. Just a lot of these choices that they made, maybe... Maybe that would have come up in um, the Batman movie that never got made. But as it, as it stood, I thought that, like, the choices were, like, very, very strange and had the heart of something that could have been interesting, but ultimately were just, like... Yeah. Just just stopped. <laughs> like, Cause, I mean... Because I'm, I'm all for changing canon to tell a new story uh, if, like, the things you're changing mean literally anything. <laughs> Um, but I think that they did that was like interesting and also why the villains sort of didn't work in this movie is that like when you look at their beginning motivations like Poison Ivy being that she wants to save the environment and Bane or not Bane Bane doesn't have any sort of motivation Um, his (laughs) motivation is to protect Poison Ivy because of reasons question mark yeah because because Poison Ivy killed the guy that injected him with the venom I think it's supposed to be in the implication but um, oh yeah that's fair yeah uh, they don't like go into it at all it's like the flimsiest reason yeah ever, but he's just like he, he doesn't speak so like yeah <laughs> yeah um 
And then uh, Mr. Fee's wanting to find a cure for McGregor syndrome. Um, Those are arguably more noble than Batman's motivations to, like, in this movie, he's trying to clean up crime, TM, but you don't ever actually see that. You see him, like, trying to thwart Freeze from stealing this big diamond from a museum, and you see him at, like, a gala where he's, like, raising money for charity by bidding on women. Um which is so cool and fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's that's a very uh, dating thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Which is like, that. I, I don't think that it's like, it was meant to be included as sort of a misogynist thing. I think it was meant to be included as like a camp thing when you have like um, yeah. Uma Thurman coming down clearly as a drag-inspired character, like just taking over. Um, but you can you can make arguments on what that all means. Uh, but th- they do start out with like better motivations than Batman. I think that that's why Mr. Freeze has to move on to freezing the world and Poison Ivy has to move on to like indiscriminately killing people um, because otherwise the movie like doesn't work because in a Batman story, you can't have Batman be like the asshole (laughs) right you have to have him be like the the power fantasy right where he's like he's not truth justice in the american way but he's like protecting something that um we assume is like sacred and important in this case um being that you know uh, we're imagining ourselves in batman's place so we're imagining ourselves as like his billionaire peers um and then, you know, he's, like, protecting their interests by protecting these, like, big diamonds and these, like, important galas where they're, <laughs> where they're bidding millions of dollars and stuff like that. Um, so you have to sort of have the the uh, villains go off in these, like, random meaningless directions so that he can kick their butt and still be in the right. Right. Uh, uh. <laughs> uh. I mean, it it does it follows suit with this movie though, right? It sets up these these plot points where it's like, okay, so this is a really interesting thing, but no, don't think about it. <laughs> yeah, and I because it feels like you think about it for two seconds and you're like, oh well, you know, obviously, you know, the villains are trying for something that's generally good, and like maybe Batman is sort of an asshole for not like taking two seconds to think about how maybe they're heart's in the right place but maybe without all of the like murder and stuff right um because i mean like when you look at the history of batman you sort of get those situations because you have things like the Hayes code and the comics the comics code authority um that really prevent you from having complicated storylines or storylines that aren't like black and white and like the history of comics like lends especially in the beginning like when batman was first created like you're not telling an anti-hero story you're telling a story about a guy who dresses up like a bat who like beats up bad guys and that's like a good thing because they're bad um and then as you get into the development of the character you start getting more into like uh anti-heroes and stuff like that but that just wasn't a story that you were able to tell um because of this like this various like pearl clutching you get in media at the time and right. uh and I think that Schumacher was, like, really drawing on that. Um, but then I think from the beginning, you have to have, like, you can't have villains that have these, like, 
pretty noble motivations. Right. If you just make them cartoonishly evil, it works better. Like if you make them um, the Joker, Two-Face, or the Riddler, who is just like bad because being bad is like what they want to do and it's like a conscious choice, um, then it works. But if you get Poison Ivy, which is a character that a lot of people have since reimagined as being like sort of heroic, especially when you uh, put her in with like Harley Quinn and stuff like that, then it gets like a lot more complicated because she's like doing bad things, but ultimately like her goals are pretty noble. Um, so right. you can argue that she's more of an anti-hero than like a classic villain until you get into the whole like, Oh, she's like this Black Widow seductress type of character. But now in the comics, I think that they're just like, no, she's a lesbian. <laughs> yeah. Which obviously makes her the biggest villain, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 You get into the whole like, um, like the monsterfication of like queerness and, and stuff like that. The whole like, like Bride of Frankenstein issue where she's just like, kissing men will kill them and is like bad so you have to like fight yeah. other people and you know i like poison ivy a lot she's a good character yeah it was dealt with sort of weird in this movie but uma thurman like i said did a great job with her right in the context it's not like super like why did they do this this way because it makes total sense in, in the way the world is set up <laughs> yeah but i think that like with limiting yourself to uh to a particular era of like very cheesy cartoony um comic books and you know that were sort of forced to be that way because of things that were going on um externally like in the culture and with like what you could even publish at the time um you're really limiting yourself and i think that you can do that and still tell a more modern story but i think that this movie didn't do that in a super sophisticated way no it absolutely did not <laughs> But it's still a fun movie overall. Like, I still like liked yeah. it and enjoyed it. I I still really love it for the aesthetics. Um, Schumacher knows how to how to fill a frame and make every every frame a painting, um, and that's something that carries over in all of his films. Whether or not we can objectively say Batman Forever and Batman and Robin are good, they are good looking. <laughs> they they are good looking. They have a lot of like good aspects, and I think that like. I, I often don't, I, I mean, I know that this, like, podcast is, like, oh, it's about bad movies, but I actually think that, like, calling a movie good or bad is sort of, like, missing the point a lot of the time. Um, like, there's, like, a place for reviews, and I think that they can be, like, really helpful to people, especially when you look at, like, um, review aggregation, like, on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, as purely like this is like how likely you are to enjoy a movie if you're just like a mainstream audience member um i right. think that that can be really useful or if you have a reviewer who has very similar tastes to you and you're just looking at like will i enjoy a movie yes or no um but i think that that's not where the discussion about movies ends i think that what's more interesting to talk about with a movie is like what it was trying to do and even if yeah. we get into like value judgments of like a movie failed because of like x thing um that's pretty subjective a lot of the time <laughs> right um, so yeah you can make arguments i think just about any given way especially in a work like this that presents so much and i think that that's what makes it like fun and cool right and i mean in in some ways that's sort of the point of big streaming pile right you were looking at things that are considered bad quote unquote but like i mean you and tom put it put out some real hot takes about you know <laughs> Yeah, uh, 
you know, the open house being Oedipal in, in nature or uh, yeah. the B movie being uh, a Hegelian uh, whatever. Hegelian dialectic. Yeah. yeah. That, that I think is my favorite spicy take of ours. <laughs> that you can only view B movie through Hegelian dialectic. <laughs> right. So, like, you know, we, we, we can sit down and say, you know, something is objectively good or objectively bad or has problems or whatever. But, like, you there's still value in, in bad art. Yeah, right. there, there's so much value in basically all types of art, um, which I, I, I'm eating my words a little bit because we like <laughs> we uh, filmed or not filmed. We recorded the uh, we recorded the next episode before recording this one in which we definitively say this movie sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's a special circumstance, though, it because. Is. Uh, that's where the value uh, where you know you're looking at a bad movie you're looking at the value of what that has and it's that this is not how you make a movie (laughs) exactly um yeah i i love bad tm movies and so much with bad movies um people are sort of like miscategorizing them because they're often like what these movies are trying to do they're often doing like high camp um or, or something to that you know, something to that degree that has like an intentionality behind it that we wouldn't necessarily say that like movies they're just like made poorly. Um, you just can't categorize them the same because this movie right. did have a vision. Like all of Schumacher's yeah, movies have a vision. Um, right. I think that this one was a little bit more messily executed than some of his other movies, but it did still have a super strong vision, and you can see that throughout the film. And I think that that's what makes people uh come back to it uh years later when the initial response to it was pretty poor (laughs) yeah yeah you can say a lot of things about batman and robin but you can't say it doesn't have character (laughs) exactly Um, and arguably that's the most important thing about a movie right yeah and like you can say that these choices were made for like the um for children basically for the like merchandising tie-ins and stuff like that but there is just so much more to it that i think is like missed subtextually when you like start showing right. it to children and even um, then even then that's not a bad thing i mean look at the marvel movies can you tell me that most of the decisions for for those movies are not made for in the benefit of children right that's just the thing with superhero movies is that like because the concept is like lowbrow no because the concept <laughs> is like sort of inherently a little bit silly um comic books i think uh, at least with superheroes, the majority of them will always be for children. Um, and I right. don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. I think that it's that like lifelong comic book lovers. Um, right. You know, I, I started reading comics when I was like, I, I was a little bit older. I was not necessarily a kid. I think I was like a teenager, maybe like 13 or 14. Um, I started reading Teen Titans, which is something that stars Mr. Grayson and is uh and is like definitely for kids or Ms. Marvel, which I think is like was one of the best comics to come out in, in the last decade. It's you know, it's about like I think Kamala is supposed to be like 14 or something like that, and it is like for young adults. It's you know, these kind of stories that really like resonate with people and um doesn't always have to be for adults it doesn't always have to be like a an alan moore work that is like you have to be like 18 or older to ride this comic book ride (laughs) (laughs) yeah sometimes we should just let things be fun like adults can still enjoy media made for children like that shouldn't be held against it 
Right. Adults can still enjoy media made for children. Um, if the medium does not always have to be for children, but I think that in what like you know the big two DC and Marvel are doing, um, I think it's at its best when it is at least accessible to children. And that's not right. to say that you know you don't have a lot of adult readers reading Ms. Marvel or whatever, but I mean it's it's about kids for kids. <laughs> Right. And it's the talent of the writers that they're able to uh, market it to more audiences than just that. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. Um, do you have any final pressing thoughts on, like, Batman or comic books? So I, upon rewatching these and, and thinking about what, what we were going to talk about on on the podcast, I was trying to, like, sit down and actually decide if I like Batman or not. Okay. Because I think I think before watching this, I, I I've always loved these movies, but just like, I think I being a, a film person myself, being hit over the head with the Nolan movies and how cool Batman is, and he's so serious and gritty. I was like, I could never touch anything with Batman again, and I would be happy in my entire life just so that I don't have to have <laughs> another comic, a comic nerd boy tell me how great Batman is. <laughs> But watching these movies again, it made me um, realize that Batman can, in fact, be fun. Yeah. Um, which was something that I had forgotten because we don't celebrate the fun parts of Batman anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, for a long time, and I guess I still do, depending on who I'm talking to, if someone asked me who my favorite superhero was, which is a question that comes up more often than you'd think, especially when people like find out what i do for money right um they'll ask me like oh who's your favorite like like superhero or comic book character or whatever and i often say batman um if i'm talking to someone who's like also a comics person i'll like tell them the real answer which is barbara gordon but <laughs> but I, I often say batman just because like Batman evokes something and like Batman encompasses like what I like about comics, especially when you get into this part of Batman, um, which is the Bat family. Like I love so many people in the Bat family and like what those people like go on to do within the DC universe. Um, so like I love like Barbara Gordon and Birds of Prey and, and you know, all those other like things that come with uh, come with her um and i love dick grayson and like the nightwing storyline and like what he does with teen titans um so like i guess my answer is like the bat family is like really cool and has these like very interesting characters um and i think that when people like try to make batman serious the first thing that they do is cut all of that out and that's not to say i don't still like love the nolan films or like uh batman for superman or whatever and i know that's a controversial right <laughs> a controversial <laughs> opinion but i but i do like it um but people tend to think that that's, like, not how you take uh, comic books seriously and, like, not how you take, you know, whatever seriously. But I think that, to me, that signals a little bit that they don't want to um, explore what I think is a very important line, important storyline in Batman, which is, like, the themes of family. And when you get into, like... Um, Barbara you know you have like coming of age stories you have stories about like disability and gender and you know all sorts of stuff um because right. Barbara I think behind Professor X is like one of the most well-known um 
like disabled characters like in comic books and then like you know probably towards the top of just like literature in general because people are so familiar right. with uh with comic books and not necessarily like novels <laughs> right <laughs> because we get so many more movies about it um right and i think that that's really important i think that it's a shame that that's like what people cut off so early about batman but i i do love batsy i do he holds a special <laughs> place in my heart <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i upon watching this and like talking to you about it and hearing you know obviously you you care very much about the batman lore and and that kind of stuff uh and that you are accepting even of you know fun batman i think maybe my my previous wear wariness of batman was just you know people being assholes <laughs> yeah and like that's also something that comes up, especially when you look at the film history of Batman, is uh, things yeah. that are, like, so much in response to, like, studios wanting to keep comic fans happy. And um, when you when you talk about, like, what comic fans want, you're often talking about a particular subsection of comic fans um, because we get, like especially along gender we get these like big divides of like how people consume comics or even like talk about comics um and you get that all across media but with comics in general like you have a lot of like male fans who are like the people who go to comic book stores and like have discussions like oh like who would win in a fight like batman versus like i don't know captain america whatever (laughs) um (laughs) You get those sort of discussions, but when you have women, they're often reading digitally, and you can, there's, that's a whole other discussion of, like, why that is, but they're often reading, like, digitally through Comixology, through their library, through, you know, like, finding trade paperbacks at Barnes & Noble, like, whatever, um, which is how I got introduced to comics, and then you have them um, consuming media and, like, drawing fan art, writing fan fiction, um, stuff like that, which is not to say that you know, that's a hard and fast rule that every single person um, is like that. But right, of course. Yeah. But I think that the people who often dominate the conversation, um, sort of because we let them dominate the conversation are like, because <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> nobody as, wants to deal with them because they're insufferable. Right. <laughs> Especially now that we get like, f- like, in the age of like forums and stuff like that. And like Twitter accounts that you can have just like any random asshole talk about how like, schumacher's too gay or whatever Um, right but that's not i don't even know if that would be like the majority i think that now people sort of have a reappreciation for that sort of thing but now the big thing is that everyone hates uh hates batman versus superman (laughs) yeah and yeah so yeah i also don't (laughs) like super pedantic uh comic book nerds i think that it's they're pretty unfun to talk to so i think that you have to have a modicum of chill even when you care a lot (laughs) about about something you have to sort of like let people have fun yeah maybe it's just the experience of you know being a, a a woman and having to talk to a a manly man, quote unquote, who who thinks they know everything about everything and get these girls out of our space. No girls allowed. Oh yeah, that is like which which so is different now. Yeah. But like even back when you know the Nolan movies were coming out, which were like what less than ten years ago. Um, like the yeah, space was think, even different then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and being like, well, obviously you can't appreciate the the genius of these movies. You are a girl. You don't know the lore. And it's like it's Batman. Yeah, it was like <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get that with like basically any major media property where it's almost like 
girls don't like Star Wars. Girls don't like Batman. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, we sort of do, question yeah. mark. <laughs> and it's just like so unpleasant to even hold those conversations that it, they become like dominated by like these like obnoxious fans. And then it's so easy to be like, well, every fan's obnoxious. And it's like, Sometimes we just don't have the energy to, like, very publicly be like, I like Batman. And then it's like, name three of his albums. Like, you know? Right. <laughs> his oh, three gosh. albums. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's always, it's always a, a treat. I had, um, yeah. I had someone come up to me once. I was, I was dressed as, like, the new 52 Poison Ivy. Um, which she wears like a black leotard that has like leaves on it. And I had someone like, right. I forget why someone told me that it was like wrong or something. And then she's like, he, she, they were like, <laughs> she doesn't wear like a, like a, you know, like a onesie style thing. She wears like a leotard and I'm just like, okay, like I'm going to walk away now. <laughs> oh, I think that so, they thought so I was trying to be the Uma Thurman character. I think that that's what it was. Cause I remember oh. them saying like why it was incorrect or something. And I'm just like, Right. I did not consent to this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Please leave me alone. Like, <laughs> final word is like let people have fun with with your your properties. Like yeah. let people explore their fandom in the way that they want to. And then maybe we get something really creative that we love. That's why yeah. we have, you know, the Schumacher Batmans, which are fun and campy, and we have the Nolan Batmans that are serious and gritty, and we have whatever the fuck the new ones are. <laughs> yeah. The DC, we have, maybe we will get a Batman movie. Hopefully Robert Pattinson has recovered from coronavirus and uh, oh, we yeah. will finish up the Batman. Um, but... Yeah, we will see. We will see everyone's. I mean, I know that like as soon as these end two, it's going to be like the Spider-Man thing, right? Where it's just like as soon as we finish a Spider-Man, we have to get a new one. So Yeah, time to reboot. No yeah. time to waste. <laughs> oh, oh, poor Bruce. Let this man rest. He's like almost 100 yeah. years old now. Batman came out, what, like, like 38, something like that? Something like that. I think it was like 1940, somewhere in that time period. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so let me do a quick works cited because I did watch and like listen and read a lot of stuff to talk about Batman. Um, let me look up who wrote this book. Okay, so um, the main book that I read to prepare for these two episodes was The Caped Crusader, Batman and the Rise of Nerd Culture by Glenn Weldon. Um, it's a really great book. It's a super interesting book that I think uh, dissects Batman and why we see different um, iterations of Batman coming throughout history. I highly recommend it to anyone who's like interested in uh, in learning more about the history of comic books and like Batman. Um, I think it's super duper well-written. I also watched uh, Patrick Willem's video on, uh, on the Schumacher films, which I think was a really great video. And I recommend all of his videos because I think that he is like, he has really smart takes on stuff. And even if you don't necessarily agree with what he's saying, he's never like, you're an idiot if you disagree <laughs> that always like turns me off of like people who talk about movies especially in like video essays yeah, and stuff. Right. if i feel like they're like if you don't even if i do agree if they come off with the air of like i am a genius and you're stupid then i just turn it off and don't watch it yeah yeah um, you did so much uh research for all of this 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like reading about comic books. That was not like... That was... Uh, I did not need to. I usually don't do like quite this much research, but I really like Batman and uh, reading and talking about comic books. So that's... When I do do things in literature, I, I like to talk about like comic books and the impact of comic books because I think it's a super interesting medium, especially being um, like a medium sort of born out of like when you have like um, a lot of immigration in the early 20th century. Plus, I just Batman's just cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so would you would you recommend this movie? Uh, absolutely. Uh, as long as you're willing to not think about it too hard. That's right. that's the big kicker. <laughs> yeah. You just want to like sit down with a couple drinks and watch like a fucking like cool movie. Yeah, this is good. This is good for that. Um, yeah, this is one to either like do a drinking game with or like to have on in the background while you're, you know, chatting and about something else. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. So, uh... Let's plug some stuff. Let's plug all of our all of our projects. Uh, would you like always to go first be with that? plugging? Always be hashtag always be plugging. <laughs> <laughs> um, sure. So, uh, as we mentioned at the beginning, uh, I'm one of the uh, cast members on Fables Around the Table. Uh, Firelight just wrapped up, and we will be doing a retrospective for Firelight very soon. So stay tuned for that. Um, but if you've uh, listened to the last season. Go back and listen to the previous ones. Uh, Curse uh, plays uh, Curse of the House of Rookwood, which is an excellent game system. And Tainted Love plays uh, Visigoth versus Malgoth, uh, which is also very excellent. If you're into indie games, you should definitely check out all of our seasons. Uh, and our performances are just really good all around, so you should listen to us be hilarious. Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy with how Fables has ended up. It's such a good show. Yeah, I, I'm really, really proud of what we've been able to do with it. Yeah, I, I, I like I've listened to all of the episodes probably like two or three times, and I still like laugh out loud. Like <laughs> maybe it's only funny to me, but we do have some good reviews, so other yeah. people think it's good too. Um, yeah, our other project derailed projects include uh, Tales of the Voidfarer, another um, actual play podcast that's not about movies or anything. It's us sitting around playing D and D. Uh, Nick Arasiva, who was on the Dinosaurs episode of uh, Big Stream Pile, and who will also be on our Halloween special that's coming out tomorrow, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, um, just the next episode in general. Uh, he plays our, he is our DM, and he has adjusted uh, the 5e, like, D&D game to also have elements of the Spelljammer setting. Super duper fun. That is Tales of the Voidfair. I think it's at Voidfair Pod on Twitter and at Voidfair Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and uh, you can also find all of our stuff on projectderailed.com. Uh, and going on projectderailed.com, you can also find some cool articles that I and some other people have written about um, gaming, media, pop culture, all sorts of good nerdy stuff. And uh, we have another podcast coming out soon. Let me look up the name because I always mess it up. It is Triple, yeah. triple T D&D. Triple T. And that is 
Taverns, Travel, and Tests. Um, it is a podcast that our friend Cliff has started. It should be coming out pretty soon. We are really, really excited to have it under the Project Derailed header. It's super fun and memey and just a good time all around. It certainly is. Yes. Um, I think that's all of our stuff. You can find us personally. I'm Fiona L.F. Kelly at Fiona L.F. Kelly on social media. And Chelsea is Chelsea Rexinger. And you can find me at CLRex4 on Twitter if you are so inclined. Um, and if you really like us and need some merch in your life, you should check out the Project Derailed uh, Redbubble shop. It's got designs for the first season of Curse for Tales of the Voidfair, and you can get the big streaming pile logo on any kind of shirt you can e even think of. Yep. Um, it is super cool. I have bought some of the stuff from there, and I can tell you that it is good quality stuff. And if you are like me and order a bunch of mugs and they all arrive smashed somehow, they will very quickly and easily replace those <laughs> for you. Um, um and stay tuned, we are looking to update um, the shop with some new designs for the next two seasons of Fables, as long as some, along with some other designs. Yep. Um, you can find that by searching um, Project Derailed on Redbubble or go to bit.ly slash derailed shop. Um, and if you like this podcast or any of our other podcasts, um, feel free to tweet about us and say that you liked us or maybe, um, you know, like or follow any of our pages or leave us a review. Um, it helps people find the show and shows them that we're not all terrible. <laughs> or, may or maybe yeah, you'll leave us a bad review. That's up to you, you know? <laughs> yeah, that way we know how to be better for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and when we see you tweet on social media or, you know, on whatever social media you like, we'll send you smiley faces. And what yeah. could be better than that? <laughs> yeah, we will. we will like them and then... Um, very awkwardly try to um, contain our squeeing that someone other than our friends listens to our podcast as we like <laughs> yeah. write a thank you response. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that that's it for this episode. Um, thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye. Introducing Tales of the Voidfarer. Join the spacefaring adventures of a group of misfits in this D&D 5th edition podcast inspired by the 2nd edition setting, Spelljammer. My name's Marco Astorio. My character is a gif yankee. My character is a doar. Adorable little penguin people. You're ravenous, right? Yes, I, 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 and you are. I, it's a pleasure to meet you. My name's Luckby Cumble. My name is Captain Valeria Rain, and welcome aboard the Voidfarer. Luckbeak, Ravnus, come on! <laughs> There's so much to see over here! Catch new episodes of Tales of the Voidfarer every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast fix. <laughs> that's funny. Wait, did you just hmm? say that's funny and not laugh, Ravnus? We really have to work on your social skills. <laughs>As each day shrinks shorter and the nights grow colder, our souls prepare to darken along with the night sky. Four storytellers gather round the campfire. Each has a tale to tell. The counselors at Camp Marigold are trying to move on from the terrors of the previous summer. Will they escape from the clutches of the Lindworm? Three friends investigate a small town after their vehicle breaks down on their road trip. Will they survive its horrifying secret, or succumb to devastation? A tale of mystical felines who watch over the children of the neighborhood. 
Will they be able to save them on All Hallows' Eve? When nightmares become indistinguishable from reality, where do the real horrors lie? Fables around the table. Firelight premieres October 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. ProjectDerailed.com